2: For the present and future. Read, reflect, and subscribe to the award-winning journal at
0: sourcesjournal.org.
3: This is Yossi Klein-Halevi and I'm a senior research fellow at the Shelem Hartman Institute in Jerusalem. Today is Monday, October 19th, 2020, and you are listening to For Heaven's Sake, the podcast of the Institute's I Engage program. In each edition of For Heaven's Sake, Daniel Hartman, president of the Institute and myself, will be discussing an issue central to Israel and the Jewish world. And then Ilana stein director of the Hartman faculty in North America, will explore with us how classical Jewish texts can enrich our understanding of the issue. At the Hartman Institute, we approach the Israel conversation as we do all our conversations, from a perspective of Jewish values, seeking broad and deep engagement. Our intention is to encourage a respectful conversation across political lines, promoting mutual understanding and strengthening Jewish peoplehood. Our topic today is the future of the peace process. Can Israel, should Israel make peace with the Arab world without trying to deal with the Palestinian issue? For decades, the Middle East peace process rested on a supposedly self-evident truism, that peace between Israel and the Arab world depended on first resolving the Palestinian problem. But now that assumption has been effectively turned on its head. With the recent signing of two peace agreements between Israel and Arab countries, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, along with persistent talk of additional agreements on way, the Palestinian issue has been sidelined in an unprecedented way. Some observers now believe that the only hope for resolving the Palestinian issue is in a regional context. First, Israel is accepted by the Arab world and only then secure in its place in the region does the Israeli public agree to the creation of a Palestinian state? Others, though, fear that Israel will go the route effectively laid out by Prime Minister Netanyahu. Peace for peace. That is, a peace process that requires no territorial concessions from Israel. In effect, no real Palestinian state. Danielle, always a pleasure to be together. Hi, So where do you stand? Is a peace agreement that circumvents the palestinians good for israel is it necessary to jumpstart the peace process is it bad for peace does it make peace more remote
2: i'm surprising myself recently by seeing how much my opinions are changing now i always like to have my opinions change and i like thinking that i could change but we don't really change that often but here I'm excited, not by the economic possibilities or the tourism possibilities of the peace treaties with Bahrain and uh, the Emirates, but I believe that when you start a peace process, it transforms Israeli society. And I I would take issue with some of the dichotomies that, that, that you offered. I don't think peace for peace means no territorial compromise. And I don't believe that we are sidelining the Palestinians by engaging in, 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 in these peace processes. Actually, I believe the exact opposite is taking place, even if it's against the will of certain political leaders in Israeli society. I think part of what happens is that when we engage in some peace negotiations, all of a sudden Israelis begin to see the possibility of a political horizon of peace. We are living now for close to 20 years, 15 years, in which it's been off the table. It's not just been off the table in, with negotiations with the Palestinians. It ceases to be a value. Now, it stopped being a value because it stopped being a, an achievable value. But when something is not attainable, you don't want to live in frustration, you just remove it. And part of what we've seen in Israeli society is a removal of, of this category. Nobody talks about it. Nobody thinks about it. No one sings about it. No one prays for it. Oh, we pray for it, but it's like a lot of other things. Formally. That we pray. Formally, Formally, we say the words, but then when we pray for it, we usually pray for peace for Israel. It's like we're not, very rarely do we pray for the world peace. So I think that any peace process is gonna activate a muscle, which I think has become atrophied in Israeli society. And I think ultimately, that will have a profound effect on Israelis' willingness to talk and to negotiate with Palestinians. But again, it's going to be in their hands, because if they reject this, then Israelis know how to, we know very well how to ignore the Palestinians. But there is a potential to re-embrace the possibility of a better future. And part of that better future is going to include Palestinians. They're right here. So I feel that By sidelining the Palestinians, we're actually increasing the possibility of a future uh, um, negotiations with the Palestinians.
3: Well, it's interesting because uh, the one poll that I saw after the signing of the agreements that asked the question about a two-state solution, the only poll that I saw, showed that a plurality of Israelis now support a Palestinian state not an absolute majority the way we had let's say 10 or 15 years ago but this is the first poll that I've seen literally in the last five years that shows a plurality supporting a two-state solution in other words more Israelis support a two-state solution today than oppose it and I think that you're right I think it's a consequence of the rehabilitation of the word peace it's now considered to be an Israeli value again, rather than a left-wing value. And that's, that's a tremendous achievement for Israeli society. And yet I want to go back to something you said a moment ago, which is the Palestinians are here. As we're speaking, I'm literally sitting in my study at home in French Hill, looking out at a Palestinian village, Anata, right there on the next hill, right past the security wall. And these are my neighbors. It's not the UAE. It's not Bahrain. These are the people here that sooner or later, I'm going to have to make peace with. And yet there really is this this sense that so many Israelis have, and I have to admit to you, I feel it too sometimes, that damn it, we're not going to let the Palestinians put a veto on our ability to make peace with the Middle East. And if we need to build, you know, to use the Israeli slang, if we need to build a bypass road around the Palestinians, then let's do it.
2: Aren't you concerned about that danger? I'm not concerned about it because we're already there. In other words, Palestinians are not significant to others for Israeli society. And therefore, I don't see any downside. I only see an upside. But I think there's another side that makes me more optimistic. I've actually now come much closer to the peace for peace model. And I think this is part of where Israeli society is. And we feel this with UAE and with Bahrain. It's peace for peace. Two people want to see each other, want to be with each other, want to live normal relations with each other. I'm giving you peace. You're giving me peace. There's something really powerful about that. There's something, if I want to change Israeli society, peace cannot be a divorce treaty. That's what basically we've been trying to achieve with the Palestinians. And that's why I think it's always failed. We basically have to get together in order to get divorced. But a divorce, nobody, I hate you. So I want to get the best deal. I don't think the move of the peace cap in Israel where we spoke about unilateral uh, withdrawal, that basically moved the peace language to a language of divorce. And that, that is a dead end in which Israelis, given our power, will always find a way to ignore marginalized Palestinian needs, rights, and interests, and give ourselves a deal. And Palestinians, they're saying, I want a divorce, so to so say, you want a divorce? Okay, here, here, take a little autonomy, take a little this, take a little territory here or there. Which, of
3: course, is also a delusion because- It's a you delusion because-
2: you can't, you
3: can't divorce and
2: then still live in the same house. You can't divorce. See, after Oslo, we gave up on peace. You would use the term, the Palestinian issue. You didn't even use the term Palestinian peace negotiators. It's the Palestinian issue. Because it's an issue. They're a pain. They're bothering me. They're problem. bothering my... They're problem. Palestinian problem. problem. <laughs> they're bothering my demography, my numbers. I want to be a democracy. It's all about me, 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 me. I look into the horizon in the Middle East and I see my belly button. And that's it. I worry about me, me. That is a dead end. Peace for peace says, you know, I want to have peace with the Palestinians. And I could have peace with the Palestinians if the Palestinians wanna have peace with me. That means not if we wanna get divorced, but if we wanna coexist and live with each other. Now, in the process of peace for peace, I would wanna give my partner the ability to live a life of dignity just like I have for myself. I believe that territorial compromise will only come from a peace for peace process. After there's peace for peace, that where Palestinian society says, this is my interest. And when Israelis reclaim and say, yes, I don't want to just be protected from Palestinians. Peace is in my interest. I want it. I want it for my kids. I want it for myself. I don't want to rule over somebody else. I want to feel the openness, the love, the, the camaraderie, the sense of, of normalcy that I feel now with the Emirates. I want that. Here, do you want that? Great. Now that we want that, now let's talk. And in that conversation, of course, I want to give you a stake. But what we did is we got rid of peace for peace, and we said it's peace for land. Peace for land leads to separation, divorce. And I think that that is the second reason why this move has a potential to be transformative, because it reminds Israelis what we really want and what's at stake. Of course, it's peace for peace. And I want to tell the Palestinians, you want to negotiate a deal of divorce, you have the wrong, you don't have enough power. You don't have enough power, and that's just not going to work. You want a deal? Well, then embrace peace for peace, and then let's talk. In other words, what you're saying, really, Daniil, is that
3: the value of this peace lies in the fact that it is about normalization. This is our first peace agreement that's genuinely warm. You see this tremendous enthusiasm on the part of, of people in the Gulf for connection with Israelis, which we haven't seen in any of the other peace agreements before. The other day, our defense minister, Benny Gans had an unprecedented press conference with a group of uh, Emirati journalists. And uh, I, I was on the call. And it was extraordinary in many ways, the warmth, the enthusiasm of these journalists when they were speaking to Benny Gantz. And it was notable as well in that none of the Emirati journalists, not one, it was an hour press conference, asked him about the Palestinians. They asked him about Iran and trade and security and how do you, how do you defeat terrorism? Not one. Do you know who raised the question of the Palestinians? Benny, Israeli.
2: Benny. Benny Gantz,
3: <laughs> wow. and I was so proud of him at that moment. He ended the press conference by saying, we've neglected to mention a very important issue, which is, how do we widen the peace to include the people who we live next door to? And that's the kind of leadership, le- leaving aside the, the political implications, but the quality of leadership, of what, what we're missing today. Look, when Netanyahu spoke at the White House at the signing, he didn't mention the Palestinians. If you were the prime minister, Netanyahu, and you were at that signing, what would you say? What would you have said to the Palestinians?
2: First of all, that's, it's a great story and it's really powerful. And uh, I think part of the problem with the current leadership in Israel, and by the way, it's also the citizenry, is that for too long, we see Palestinians as an issue and as a problem. We, we, we see them as an enemy we need to be protected from and not as human beings who we have to build and have the potential to build a new relationship with. We've given up on that. Israelis don't believe that that's what Palestinians want. We believe that we are transparent to them. They also believe that they're transparent to us. So I would have done the same. I would have used that opportunity and to say, at this moment, I want to say, Israelis yearn for peace. We yearn for coexistence with all of our Arab neighbors. To my Palestinian neighbors, I want to tell you that I see you. I am not trying to bypass you. The same process that we are engaged with today, I want to invite you, let's talk. Let's talk piece for piece. Don't worry, we're not, open up that space. The problem is, is that Israelis don't believe the Palestinians want to. And then we let ourselves off the hook by never creating we're never disappointed anymore i think israelis still haven't gotten over the trauma of arafat say no and they never want to be exposed anymore and as a result of, our of, of Minister-
3: arafat say no and then four years
2: of the worst terrorism in our oh, history that that's again thank you for adding that <laughs> we're, that's where we are and so truth the, is, Tenyao, the truth is i don't blame him right um right that's where he is that's where Israeli society is. We, we are yearn in for we that, that of
3: post-traumatic stress from the Second Intifada. But that's, that's why
2: this deal with the UAE is so important. You use the word normalization. Normalization is getting over that stress, that PTSD. It's creating a new story. And with that new story, I want to say to Palestinians, there is new possibilities on the table now that were never there before. And now the question is not whether the Emirates are going to push for a negotiation with the Palestinians. The question is whether the Palestinians are going to push for a negotiation with the Palestinians. I want to tell you at this moment, if they do, they will find Israeli citizens more open to that conversation than they've been open in the last 15 years.
3: It's a great insight, Daniil. You know, this, this idea of this particular piece this normalization being a kind of healing for Israeli society from our post-traumatic stress. I I, I think that that's a really important insight that's been neglected. And, um, you know, one of the many things that I've learned from you over the years in our uh, Chavruta on Israeli issues is that the Jewish people has a responsibility to pursue peace, even if peace is elusive. In fact, you, you really helped me understand the pasuk, the verse, uh, shalom seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace when there's an opportunity for peace. Pursue peace when there's no opportunity for peace. And yet, my question to you is, at what point do you really say, you know, guys, I've given this my best. I can't anymore. I'm, I'll make peace with whoever's, Ready to sit with me at the table. I can't chase the Palestinian leadership. I can't chase people who, who won't even accept my legitimacy, who present the same impossible utopian demands of right of return year after year. At what point do you, does even Daniel Hartman say, I can't
2: do it anymore? Never. 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 Play it out. As long, no, as long as I could defend myself and I will worry and I'll defend myself, never. I will always leave the door, not only leave the door open, but I will be constantly pursuing. And why, the reason why I'm so excited now is that now it's easy. Israeli society is there. There is a discourse around it that's there. And now, okay, Palestinians, Come on back. If you don't, the reality is I'll still be there. I'm never going to give up. Because what I really want with Palestinians is I don't want divorce. I want peace for peace. And that will remain a value for me forever.
3: Let me read to you a a quote from the former Saudi ambassador to the U.S., Bandar bin Sultan. And this is from a 40-minute interview which was really more of a tirade on uh, Al Arabiya TV station he said we justified to the whole world the actions of the Palestinians while we knew that they were not justified but we did not wish to stand with anyone against them and what he's saying now is enough we can't do it anymore do we need something of that language as well when we pursue peace is that is is that an essential part of the message? Again,
2: if you want a divorce, yes. Part of what I'm saying to you is peace for peace doesn't mean no territorial compromise. It means elevating the conversation. And it means stop infantilizing Palestinians too. So if he wants to speak that way to Palestinians, as we say in Latin, You know, go for it. I don't know if that's the way um, you're going to move Palestinians. I do believe that a language of peace for peace could elevate the conversation. It might require a change of leadership in the Palestinians. It might require more and more Palestinians exerting pressure. But I'm happy that he said that. But what I want us to stop doing, Yossi, is to say, oh boy, we one 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 nothing for us. It's just continuing that zero-same conversation. That's for the divorce. Okay, it's like, here it is. We're getting divorced. Who hates the people I hate as much as I hate them? But that's not what we want. As you said, You see how excited we are with the Emirates? We could be that excited about going to Ramallah, going to Shechem. We could be that excited. Taste what could be and stop thinking in zero-sum games. And I appreciate what you said, but my answer is that I will never stop yearning for it. And then hopefully one day we will speak that way. One day Palestinians will speak that way. And one day we'll be on the same page and hopefully we'll get we'll, we'll be able to move forward.
3: Let's take a short break and we'll return with Alana Steinheim.
1: Hi, my name is Jenny Notice-Less and I work for the Shalom Hartman Institute of North America. With passions running high in the run-up to the U.S. presidential election, we at Hartman want to help you take a step back to ask the big questions that are facing the American Jewish community today as citizens and stakeholders in the American Project. How do our Jewish and civic values intersect? What are our obligations as North American Jews? How should our voices be heard? On October 19th, our Hartman at Home programming will kick off with dozens of sessions on the key civic issues facing our communities today including salons, panels, book talks, and deeper learning opportunities. Plus, we'll have 10 takes on the role of a citizen in a democracy, a daily 25-minute session with 10 different Hartman scholars. Join for one session or many, as we add a Jewish lens to this critical moment in history. Go to www.shalomhartman.org to find out more.
3: Alana. Good to be with you.
1: Good to be with you,
3: even virtually. What uh, What insights can you bring to this discussion from our tradition?
0: I mean, the first thing I have to say before we actually get to our tradition is how interesting it is for me to hear you speak from the Israeli perspective of peace equals peace equals peace, and it's it's fascinating to think that the peace with the UAE is the same in some ways as peace with Palestinians when sometimes when I talk to friends who are Muslim and who think about things from maybe the Palestinian side, it's a totally different map. It's a completely different map. So the same way sometimes I bring in the American perspective, it's, it's just been fascinating to hear different sides, not just of the ocean, but of whose team are you on and how do you see this moment in peace? But what I want to talk about is I, I want to talk about identity. Um, I want to talk about how identity changes... Uh, between the us and them, and then when you break down who the them is into its component parts, because I think that's somewhat what's happened here. And to do that, I want to look at two texts. The first text I want to look at is Havdalah. After Shabbat ends or after a holiday ends, we make this declaration about God distinguishing between the holy and the mundane, and just a little clause from there. God distinguishes between the sacred and the mundane, between light and darkness, and between Israel and the nations. Now, I say that at least once a week, right? And when I say that, what I'm doing is I'm reifying a certain us-them paradigm that's totalizing. I'm one little nation. I'm one people. And everybody else, all other nations, you could be Bahrain, you could be France, whatever you want, you're all one thing to me. You're one big undifferentiated mass. And to my understanding, the idea of Israel on the one hand and the Arab world or even Jews and Muslims has been sort of a totalizing binary. I know there's Jordan, there's Egypt, but we're not talking about, as we've said in the past, people sending you text messages wishing you a Shabbat shalom in Arabic. That's not what's going on there. There's a totalizing sense of us and them. And I think what this moment does in a way that I've seen animated in the two of you in our conversations and in so many of my Israeli friends and family is it's moved us to a different paradigm completely. And I I want to talk about not who distinguishes between Israel and the nations, us, them, but I want to talk about something that's a little more differentiated. And the differentiated model, it's a biblical model like have on your split screen on the one, us and the nations, right? It's like lefties and non-lefties. And on the other side of the screen, listen to this from Deuteronomy 23. An Ammonite and a Moabite can't enter God's assembly. Even to the 10th generation, they shall not enter God's assembly forever because they did not meet you with bread and water on the way when you came up from Egypt. And because they hired against you. Bilam, son of Baor. From Pitor of Aram Naharaim To curse you. And for that reason. A few verses later. You shall not seek their peace. Nor their prosperity. All your days forever. So we start with the Ammonites. The Moabites. You shouldn't be marrying with them. Because they didn't treat you right. But then comes the next verse. But you shall not abhor the Edomite for he is your brother. You shall not abhor the Egyptian because you were a stranger in his land. Those people, the children of their third generation can enter into the assembly of the Lord. They can marry. Just feel the difference. Just hear the difference. In these verses, it's not us and then all of them, some undifferentiated mass but it's, you got the Ammonites, you got the Moabites, you got the Egyptians, you got the Edomites. Each group establishes their own relationship with you. It's not totalizing, and it's actually about mutuality. What's the relationship that we've developed with this group is different than the relationship that we've developed with that group. And I think it has to impact the way that Jews and Muslims think about each other everywhere. It has to impact the way that Jews or Israelis and Arabs think about what's possible in their relationship, breaking down that wall. So that's what I would like to put on the table as a potential in this moment, and maybe underlying, Danielle, what you're talking about saying, now I think there's potential with that group also, right? If I understand
2: the argument, you're saying that for so long, Israelis, because of the Israeli Arab conflict. Yes. All Arabs are the same. All Muslims are the same. No, none of them want peace. Now, with Bahrain and the Emirates, now we've broken it up. It's not us and them anymore. Now, each country, each nation, we have to differentiate, and we will differentiate on the basis of how they treat us and what possible future we have with each other, et cetera. So are you saying that the us-them pushes Israel away into a a ghetto? Yes. And that the UAE deal is basically breaking down that story. And
0: and it's not even just pushing us into a ghetto. It's also pushing them into into their own batten down the hatches. Right? That's really what that does. And I'm really interested in seeing what the possibilities are. You know, I was in a conversation recently with a group of Muslims and a group of Jews. And we were talking about the UAE deal. And at some point, one of the people on the Jewish side said, could you imagine what it feels like for a Jew to be able to go to the UAE and be seen in religious garb and have Muslims see them and say, you're not all one thing. You don't all equal one totalizing binary force. And for a Jew to talk to Muslims and sit with Muslims and say, oh, you're not all one thing. There's something, it fundamentally changes identity. And I would be curious to hear for Arab Israelis, where do they fit in all of this? Because when you change that totalization, suddenly the people who are the hybrids, they're, they're not marginalized. They're in a different position.
2: And the Palestinians are telling the UAE, we're all the same, don't separate. They want to keep that binary. Yossi?
3: Yeah, the conflict between uh, Israel and and the Arab world has been so devastating because each side has imposed its worst historical nightmare on the other side. So for the Arab world, we have embodied European colonialism and for us, the Arab world has embodied the Nazis, they've embodied the genocidal threat. And what this peace agreement is doing is really offering us psychological healing. And right. what
0: I think is interesting, so there's this great book by Adil Fear and Yishai Rosenzweig, and it's essentially following this paradigm shift in the opposite direction, from the Bible to the rabbis, that in the Bible, you differentiate it, this is Bahrain, and this is Egypt, and this is, but when you get to the rabbinic period, it's us and them, right? It's us and Rome. That's what it is. And I wonder if the possibility for differentiation applies in a much deeper way when you do have a state, when you do have a political entity, because in those kinds of, we're not talking about living as a diaspora where you're subject to other people's whims and you basically say, we're this little sea We're this little oasis in the midst of this big desert. But actually, this is kind of, um, it's a realization of what it means to have Jewish sovereignty. That instead of looking at Israel, oh, we are this little oasis in the midst of 22 Arab countries that all hate us. It's actually taking on that mantle of agency that when you are a sovereign nation, you make treaties. And there are some groups that you make treaties with, there are other groups you don't make treaties with. That's part of realpolitik that was not possible for the rabbis. They, they couldn't really think like that.
2: So paradoxically, the Palestinians have been forcing Israel into a diasporic model. And Israelis have embraced it because life is very simple in these light, night, day, holy, non-holy. Yes. You know who you are. That was going to get much more confusing. But now well, maybe... Maybe we could go back, as you're saying, because the biblical model was the model of power.
0: Right. The model of conversation of power. And to me, it's like, you know, you guys are talking about a certain healing from PTSD, which I think is beautiful and needed. But there's also, there's an actualization of Zionism here. There's an actualization of sovereignty here, where Israel is not the biggest ghetto in the world. That's not what Israel is. It's a return to the biblical model. It's a beautiful thing. And it's confusing for diaspora Jews, but we also are able to get it in America. You can have a parallel conversation, yes. but it, it's kind of remarkable.
3: Ilana, thank you. Danielle, truly a joy to engage with you both. For Heaven's Sake is a product of the Shalom Hartman Institute. It was produced by David Zvi Kalman and edited by Tali Cohen. Our managing producer is Don Friedman, and music is provided by So-Called. To learn more about the Shalom Hartman Institute, visit us online at shalomhartman.org. We want to know what you think about the show, and you can write us at, for heaven's sake, at shalomhartman.org. Subscribe to our show in the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, and everywhere else, podcasts are available. Thank you for listening, and shalom from Jerusalem.